You're listening to Real Chicks Rock Presents Real Discussions, and I'm your host, Michelle Dawes-Burke. Fasten your seatbelts as it's sure to be an informative discussion and conversation. Keep in mind that we are not perfect, but we're empowered. Enjoy. Good afternoon and welcome to Real Chicks Rock Presents Real Discussions. I'm your host, Michelle Dosbert, And as always, I'm super excited to be here with you on Sunday afternoon. We're here in Atlanta and it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Spring is upon us just like that. It's already March. The season has changed from winter to spring just like that. This year is moving along with or without us. Time is moving on. And so I'm just so excited to be here today with you guys. For all the new listeners, let me just give you a little back, a little bit of background about what Real Chicks Rock is all about. We're all about creatively collaborating, connecting and raising awareness regarding issues that impact women by way of community service, um, public speaking, mentoring, workshops and the arts. And the arts is this media platform in which we're here with you today. And I'm always excited about doing it. I am slowly approaching my fifth year in doing this. So thank you so much, guys, for checking this out every first and third Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We could not do this without you. So we're so, so thankful that you decide to spend some time with us uh, every first and third Sunday so we can have these conversations. Without further ado, I am I'm super excited about my guests. I love all my guests. Let me just be honest. My guests are pretty <laughs> phenomenal people. But today, I get to talk to someone that I truly admire as a journalist, as a professional person that's been working in the industry, as a mom, as an author, all these other things, as a blogger. I have none other than Renee Siler with me. Hi, Renee. How are you? Hi, Michelle. How are you doing? I am I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you had some time to share with us this afternoon. Let's just jump in because I feel you have just a wealth of experience and just things that you can enlighten our listeners with. So born in Illinois, huh? Were you right? And then raised in Sacramento, right? Let's start it from there, right? Right. So I don't remember any of Illinois because I was you know, spirited away as a young girl. <laughs> my parents um, ended up, we were in the military. My yes. mom and dad were in the military. So I was born at Scott Air Force Base, but was actually raised in Sacramento, California, mm-hmm. or more appropriately, Fair Oaks, California, which okay. is a suburb of Sacramento. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I didn't spend any time in Illinois. <laughs> Not in Illinois. So tell me, what was the neighborhood like for you in California, uh, especially in that Sacramento area? Tell me what was it like for you? You know, it's funny that you should ask that because I have been um, really interested in my childhood and upbringing. So I'll tell you what I remember, and then I'm going to tell you why this has been a point of interest for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, my sister and I, um, she's younger than me by about 22 months, but we grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And... Um, this would have been probably in the late 60s. So the schools that we went to were predominantly white. The neighborhood was predominantly white. And that's the area that we grew up in. Um, the question I've had lately is how did we get there? Because mm-hmm. we were there prior to the passage of the Federal Housing Act. So yeah. we were the only black family in the neighborhood. And I'm so curious about how our family was yeah. uh, the first one there. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad is deceased, so I can't ask him. Right. And my mother has dementia, so she can't really remember. Mm. Um, and so it's up to my sister and I to try to piece this together. But I find that 
really fascinating. Yeah. What happened that allowed our family to be the first family to um, to move into that neighborhood? Yeah, yeah. It could have been tied to your dad's military, you know, career opportunities. You know, maybe well, you know, a- he was. He was retired by then. He okay. was in the military. Yes. Yeah, so by the time we moved there, he was already retired. Okay. And it makes me wonder, like, was this part of, um, I believe the term is called blockbusting, mm. where they would move a black family in and then tell all the other families, yes. the white families around, yes. you know, hey, did you know there was a black family moving in? You better get out while your while yeah. your property is still worth something. Wow. So I'm curious about that. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to find that yeah. out though. So that could be another book, Renee. You get that information. That's another book for sure. <laughs> That's a story to show, to share. And when you find out, I'm bringing you back. So tell me, Renee, <laughs> you attended at, uh, CSU in Sacramento. Were the good times there in college? Had a great time there. Tell me a little bit about that. You know, I mean, I feel like I had quite the kind of charmed life and career. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean it was easy, mm-hmm. but I did have two parents who gave us a good solid foundation and footing. Um, and we, uh, and, and they really had expectations of us that were quite high. So it's not that any of it was easy, but we knew what we had to do to that end. Um, you know, I ended up going to a small Christian college in well, first I went to a community college. I called them junior colleges back then. Right. I went to a small Christian college after the community college. Then I came back um, and I came back because my dad was not well. Mm. Um, and so I ended up going to the local university, which was Sac State. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was good. I, I was a commuter student, so I didn't really have the whole like live on campus experience because I was taking care of my you know, sick father and, and, and working. I was a waitress at TGI Fridays. And (laughs) so I didn't have a lot of that. The collegiate experience for me was very perfunctory. Mm. It was go to school, you get, you put the work in, get good grades and you come home and then, you you know, you work. You were very focused. Yeah. You were very focused at a young age though. You had a lot of responsibilities though, which were, which is great. Which is yeah, great. I, I, it was, it was hard. You know, I look back now and I think I was 23 years old. So that's the same age as my son, mm. but to be handling, you know, the death of my father and, and all by myself, my parents were separated by that time. Mm. My mother lived in, so I lived with my dad and my mm. mother lived in Southern California. So all of that was on my shoulders and it was, it was hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can imagine. How did you, what was your major when you were in college? You remember what were you studying? I was, my major was psychology, which, you know, I mean, how I got to television, I'll never know. But yes, uh, my major was psychology. And at the time, I thought I would be a psychologist. I was actually really interested in that. But by the time I was done, I had gotten out, graduated with my BA. I was like, oh, no, no more school. (laughs) (laughs) And so honestly, you know, how I got into this is that I was, working overnight at the um, suicide prevention hotline. And I was reading about this woman named Liz Walker, who was the highest paid black anchor woman in the country at the time. She's in Boston. And I was like, Hmm, I like telling stories. I always did well in English. Maybe I should look into that. And so I ended up uh, getting an internship. I just called up some TV stations that, Hey, I'd like to have an internship and they actually let me in like that. Wow. Just like that. And you know what? So the lesson in that was like, you don't know the answer unless you ask the question. Don't, don't, don't assume 
that people are going to say no. Yeah. Because there's a chance they might say yes. Maybe they're short stepped Maybe yes. they're short-handed. Yes. Whatever. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was a chance I took with you. So thank you for saying yes. Because, <laughs> yes, we follow each other on Twitter. Yes, I was honored. It's like, she's following me on Twitter. Yes. And oh. something just hit me. And I said, Renee Silo follows you. You like her. Why don't you just ask? There's some, that energy is in the air, Renee. My, my producer and I were just talking about it. You just don't know unless you ask. I was sharing a story with him about this black designer that uh, designed the clothing for Michelle Obama and Kamala mm-hmm. Harris for the inauguration, right? Yep. And he just said, I, give me a chance. I would love to style the first lady. And they gave him a chance. And that's wow. how it is. Yeah, you don't yeah. know unless you ask. So thank you for bringing that. You confirmed what I said. So you're doing this intern at the different, uh, you know, in broadcasting now all of a sudden. So then you're a weekend reporter. How did you do that? They gave you a chance in doing, you were just doing it. So I want to believe that, and maybe I'm wrong, but, or maybe I was just a go-getter. I don't know. I can't, but the internship I had at the TV station was not a, a an on-air internship. Okay. It was a um, production internship. Mm-hmm. And so that, what that meant was that I was doing production work in the studio. I was running camera. I was um, ripping, this is, I'm aging myself here, dating myself, because this was back in the day when they actually had script pack, like so you would actually. T- Hello, typewriter. Yes, yes. We actually with the ribbon, with the ribbon, with the ribbon. Yes. <laughs> so we had typewriters, and we had this thing that was called script pack, and script pack was a piece of it, it was like five um, layers, and every layer had to go to a different person in the production department, okay. the director, the um, the anchor, the uh, audio person, all of this stuff, but. I had to rip those and sort them out and deliver. None of of this was close to what I wanted to do, Mm. but I knew that if I could get in there, I could sort of move laterally. And I think that that's one of the big mistakes people make is in not seeing the growth opportunities Mm. that they assume that growth is linear and it's not it. You're, it looks like this. Yes. The trajectory, right up, down, Mm -hmm. Plateau up to, so like young people, especially, I, I'm really big on this. You've got to understand what the growth potential is mm-hmm. and looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so I did that. So, and I would also run studio camera and then the next, but on my own time, I made enough friends in the production department to go out on stories really? with, you know, like a photographer. Yeah. And he would say, this guy would go out with, he would say, Look, I just want you, I don't, because he would be going out on his own, holding the microphone and asking questions. We call that a one man band. Right. So he would be doing all of that. And he said, Look, I mean, it would be great if you could come with me and you ask the questions. You, so it was helpful to him, but it was also good for me. Yeah. You see? Yeah. And so from that, I ended up getting a resume tape. And then I got, I would just send the tape out. And then lo and behold, I got the job in. In uh, Reno. And yeah, and you never stopped. And so then you were in Reno, then it was Birmingham, then it was Dallas. You were just everywhere. How long were you in Reno before going to Birmingham? I didn't get a sense of how long you were at each area, though. So how long were you in Reno? I worked at two TV stations in Reno. So the um, first job right right out of college and out of the internship, I was probably there like 11 months. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And during that time, again, there were changes that happened in the station that enabled me to, to anchor, to try my hand at anchoring. Like the, the, the woman who was the main anchor ended up getting really sick. So the weekend anchor went to replace her and they said, Hey, what about you? Would you like to anchor? And I was like, sure. (laughs) Um, So it was, it it happens like that. Just sometimes you're the warm body who's there. Mm -hmm. And if you prove yourself to be, to be reliable and you're, and you're just there, you just never know when that tap is going to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. So from there um, I ended up at the station across the street the, they, they poached me, Mm -hmm. um, because I didn't have a contract or whatever. So I went over there and I was only there for like eight months. And then I ended up going to Birmingham. Birmingham. I I was the first place that I signed a contract and I was there for two years. Really? And then in Dallas, I worked for two TV stations in Dallas. One of them I had signed a, this was a three-year contract. Mm. Um, and then, um, I got fired from, or I didn't get fired. I got, um, they didn't renew my contract. Mm. Um, and then I ended up, I was married and pregnant at that time. So I, I sat out a year okay. and then I ended up going across town to another station. And that's where I was when I got picked by um, CBS. Mm. Now, CBS in, affiliate. in your early years with the Reno and Birmingham and Dallas, Renee, were there other people in the studios that were were black, were you that you weren't the only black person there? Can you remember? There might have been maybe a sound guy that might have been black, or a, another female anchor that was black, or no? Definitely no more on it. No on air talent. Wow, um, I was the only one. Wow. Um, so this would have been in about eighty nine. Yeah. Or so eighty eight, wow. eighty nine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's gotten better. Gosh, I pray. Yes. It, yes. Uh, but I haven't. I don't check the their website. I don't know what what's going on in, in Reno so much um, in terms of other people in the studio or in the, in the building, mm-hmm. I'm sure there were one or two other, but wow. not, not significant numbers. I, I no. you. Mm-hmm. Okay. You remember the first story you covered? You remember your first story? I don't remember the first story, but I do remember my first, this sounds so morbid, but like my first, see my first dead body because, and that, and that, by the way, uh, that was probably about a month into being at CB, uh, being at the, uh, affiliate. The, um, I was at the CBS affiliate was my first job, the ABC affiliate. So those were in Reno. I worked at the CBS wow. affiliate first yes. and the ABC affiliate at, when I went over to the ABC affiliate. Um, so I had already done 11 months or whatever, and had never, never seen anything like this, mm-hmm. but then I went to the ABC affiliate and I was, a um, must not have been, I'm not sure if it was on a weekend or not. It might've been a weekend. Cause I think I had to report also, <laughs> you know, you had to do everything. Do everything. Um, and I saw a dead, I saw, I got, I had gone out on two stories where, you know, one on a Saturday, one on a Sunday, and they both involved a person, a deceased person. And in the same weekend, it was like, uh, do, uh, do I want to do this? <laughs> it was really hard. And, and you know what? Never saw anything like that again. Thank goodness. But, Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. But that was a, tur- mm-hmm. that could have been a turning point for you. So that's, that's an excellent way for us to segment the next question. Cause I wanted to understand your goals at this time, because again, you read about this journalist in Boston that was making a lot of money, 
But what were your goals? Were you trying to get to that same plateau, be this like number one anchor woman per se, like, or be maybe the next Barbara Walters or what was your goal or objective at that time? Wow. That is, you'd think that that would be something I could remember kind of off the top of my head. And I really can't. I just know that I enjoyed, you know, I've always been a storyteller. I've Mm -hmm. always been interested in other people's stories Mm -hmm. and, and what makes other people do the things they do. So that was like, you know, part of the reason that I went into this, Mm -hmm. I sort of went into it because I felt like I was good at the storytelling. I was good at the listening. I was good at the communication part, the actual looking into the lens and speaking to people and being able to, you know, work through that, that level of, you know, when you are speaking to a camera, there's, and you're trying to get to the home audience, Mm -hmm. there's like a layer that you have to kind of penetrate through. Mm -hmm. And I was able to do that sort of naturally. And um, so those were the things that kept me or got me interested in doing this was, was that knowing how to be a communicator. I didn't have any real, I don't know, desire to be Barbara Walters or Carol Simpson or anything like that. And really didn't think I would ever ascend to a level like that Mm -hmm. because, you know, you're from Sacramento and I had a, uh, I had a, a, a college instructor say, Oh, you know, many of you won't even make it to the anchor desk. And I was like, what? Yeah. (laughs) It was so weird because it's like, aren't you supposed to like be encouraging us? And anyway, um, yeah. So I, I don't remember exactly what my goal was except to just be the best, um, anchor and reporter that I, that I could be. Mm -hmm. So tell us how, how did you get to CBS, uh, the early show? Tell us how did you get there? Well, um, let's see. Wow. I'm really having to go back here. (laughs) Um, I was working at the CBS affiliate in Dallas Mm -hmm. and I had a great life. Um, My, but I had two kids and I had in television, you know, you really, you were either working the um, morning shift or you were working the evening shift. And neither one of those is really conducive to a good family life. Mm -hmm. But when I was there, I was working this sort of mid-range shift. So I would do the um, noon show and then the five and six, and then I was out. Mm -hmm. So I could get home in time to put my kids to bed. I was able to be there when they woke up, all that stuff. Great. Well, all of that ended when um, television revenue started getting tight, Mm -hmm. but it didn't end until I was already gone. Um, So I was, I'm, I'm, telling you a lot right now, but basically while I was in that shift, I got a call from uh, my agent Mm -hmm. at the time who said, CBS wants to revamp its morning show and they are looking for people. And why don't you submit a tape? And I was like, Henry, I literally had just built a house. My life was good. I said, I I can't do that. I, I, you know, I, we we just moved into this house like a month ago. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, Renee, just send it. You never know what will happen. Well, I sent it. And you know what happened? They called me out for an interview. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it was Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. wait a minute. Yeah. So I ended up getting the job from there. In At the same time, there were some shifts happening in television. And Mm -hmm. they were looking for places to cut. They're always looking for places to cut. 
But instead of having three anchor teams, they could make it two by making the morning anchor also do the noon show. Mm. We have the evening anchors do the five, six and 10 or five, six and 11 or whatever. So that was all happening as I was leaving. So had I stayed there, I would have probably been out of a job. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't understand the cuts, Renee, because as much advertising that goes on during the broadcast, during shows, you would think that there would be enough you know, to sustain people's salaries or keep staff on and all that kind of stuff. Because, I mean, during that time when you were on, that type of television was pretty big. It was very, very competitive. Well, and that's exactly the problem Mm. is that the pie, which was like this with three slices taken out of it, is now like this with 17 million slices taken Uh. out of it because viewership is down. People don't watch TV as much as they used to. And the people who are watching television are old. Mm -hmm. They skew old. Um, Advertisers don't want old um, viewers because old viewers tend to be what they call brand exclusive. Mm. For example, if I asked you what kind of brand, what kind of detergent, what kind of laundry detergent do you use? I'm I'm seriously asking you that, Michelle, Mm -hmm. which laundry detergent that you use? Um, Tide. (laughs) <laughs> how long have you been using Tide? For years, 20 years, long time. <laughs> That's why they don't want to mess exactly. with you. Me too. <laughs> yeah. I've been using Tide since I've been doing laundry. laundry. But, so then why would somebody who's coming to you with a gang advertisement be interested in somebody like you or me who's already brand loyal to Tide? Uh, so that's that's where the, the problem is and that's where the hangup becomes. So the older skewing viewer the less they can charge for advertising. And that's why they're in the position that they're in. Yeah. Not to mention young people. I, I, I raised two kids who are now 23 and 25 mm-hmm. almost. Mm-hmm. They probably never watched a news show. Even the ones I was on. <laughs> they get their news from other places. Yes. yes. So those things are having an impact on advertising. Mm. The times have changed. The times are changing. So tell me, Renee, if you can, what happened with you and your relationship with the early show? Because what you were there for four years and then mm-hmm. you got you got fired. What happened? Can you share uh, yeah. anything with that? Of them? course. Sure. Oh, please. Yes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I just want to be respectful. I have no I have no secret. Come on, <laughs> Renee. Spill the tea, as they say. Give us the tea, Renee. <laughs> Here's the problem. Um, if you feel like, if you let somebody else control your narrative, then you're always going to live in fear. Yeah. So I, I don't, I'm not letting anybody else control my narrative. Mm-hmm. I lost my job. I got fired, which if you've been in television long enough, you've been fired. <laughs> this is not special. Exactly. I'm not special. I just was there when they decided to make a change. When television stations want to change their branding, mm. They don't just change their color scheme or their graphics. They change their talent. Yes. And that's part of the um, risk you take being on air. Mm. That's why you get paid a lot of money <laughs> for, for a number of reasons, but that's one of them. Because when they decide this, they, the station management changes and they wake up one day and they say, we don't like her anymore. You're out mm. and they don't have to explain anything. They don't have to do anything contractually. They can, they can do that. Yeah. And so that's what happened. Wow. I mean, I don't, I don't feel any kind of way about it. I, you know, I, I, it was fine at the time because, you know, I was having this, um, 
I had a double mastectomy yes. right after yes. I was um, ha- had been fired from CBS. So it was good that I didn't have to race back and all this stuff. And then the other thing is, you know, don't cry for me, Argentina. I had a contract that they had to that they had to pay out. Mm. So I did, you know, I did okay on my way out. <laughs> so that's a good as thing. they say, you did all right. So now we're dealing. We're focused. We don't. Ha- we don't have to worry about going to work. Okay, but now we're dealing with our health now. So tell mm-hmm. us about the discovery of that, Renee, and how that made you feel. Give us a little background on your your mastectomy there, if you can. Yeah. So I did not have breast cancer. I had a condition. Um, that was the sort of the stage before breast cancer. Okay. Um, it was called hyperplasia. And so I had two first degree relatives with breast cancer, my Mm. mother and my father, men can and do get breast cancer. Why it's a small number, but when they do, it is very, it's more alarming to, um, medical staff because men don't have, um, estrogen, and, and um, progesterone in the same levels as, or estrogen in the same levels as women do. So therefore, if a man, if a man presents with breast cancer, it's almost like it's a genetic thing Mm -hmm. because they don't have the same hormones. So to have two first degree relatives with that was very alarming to them. Mm -hmm. So I had been having um, biopsies and some were surgical and some were stereotactic and, every year for four years. And by the end of the four year period, so much of my breast tissue was gone that I was like, I just, this doesn't feel like a great way to be, to be living right now. Right. Right. And so I had a great, um, I had a great doctor at the time who was European trained. And he was like, listen, there's this surgery for people like you. Um, and so, but first we need to find out, do you carry the gene, the BRCA gene? If you don't, we're, we could still talk about the surgery, but we, it's going to change. Like we're not going to put you on the hormone uh, tamoxifen, which actually is the medication that suppresses the hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I had had the gene for that, they would have prescribed that for me because right. you can't, you know, you're trying to stop the, the, the progression of the, of the disease mm-hmm. or at least the beginnings of it. Anyway, um, so I had the, uh, I had the, the, uh, genetic test. This is really important, a, a point that I think is, I like try to share, particularly with black women. When I had the genetic test, the doctor said there are three potential outcomes. Um, you could show a positive BRCA test, a negative BRCA test, which is the BRCA, or what they call undetermined variant. The undetermined variant means that we have information on you, but there isn't enough data in the pool Mm. for us to make a decision. And the reason there's not enough data in the pool is because not enough black women were a part of the pool, were a part of the, of the medical testing. So that's a, that's a big one with me is that, and it took, took another 10 years before they were finally able to say we have enough data to be able to determine that this doesn't mean, you know, what we thought it would mean. But that's, that's really important. We, we have to look at, you know, how active are we in clinical tests and Mm. and that kind of thing. Mm. I mean, we're, we're just, we're not just, but we have, we're strengthening our muscles, Renee, in the sense of just getting our mammograms done. 
regularly mm-hmm. like we're supposed to like so the doctors don't have to beat us over the head anymore like they did mm-hmm. maybe previously like years ago because we know the importance of us knowing whether or not yeah. and, and the fact that we have witnessed people's lives change by early detection so now right. we we feel more hopeful that oh my god if there is something we can get ahead of it so but there's just mm-hmm. we're not invited to the table for any other type of clinical studies or conversations but but we have to we that's on us to find out mm-hmm. so we have to educate ourselves okay. we need to yeah. ask we need to you know, we need to be empowered to ask questions, to ask second opinions, mm. that kind of thing. You mm. know, the um, you're right about the mammograms. And here's the, the piece that's really frustrating is that black women typically have a poor prognosis once a cancer is found. Mm. So we need it is it it has to be breast cancer along with prostate cancer for men mm-hmm. are among the most curable cancers. If they are found early, all cancer has a better prognosis if it's found early, mm-hmm. but the people, you can't hide your head in the sand. You can't say, I don't want to know because sooner or later you will know, yeah. you will know. Yeah. The question is, will you know in time for you to do something about yeah. it? That's really the yeah. question. Yeah. Yeah. So now you, you're, you're going through this, you're experiencing this and you're coming through it. Now I read that we've lost hair, right? We had a hair loss situation. Tell us a little bit about that, Renee. What's going on? What happened there? Because <laughs> the hair was, is beautiful today. Let's, for those that can't see us, the hair is nice. We did a cold wash. It's beautiful. It's bouncy and springy. What happened to our hair? What, what happened? <laughs> She's laughing. She's tickled. <laughs> so, you know, Michelle, the hair thing was completely unrelated to the breast thing. Okay. And so I didn't, because I had my surgery preventively, they did not find cancer mm-hmm. and I had no cancer. I had the stage before cancer. So in removing my breast, they removed any kind of cancer that would have come down the line. Okay. But what happened was as I was, um, so now in 2007, so this was, I guess, this was all happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. I, mm-hmm. You're making me go way back. <laughs> but, so in 2007, um, I was finishing my book, Good Enough Mother. It was coming out in March of 2007. And I was on a, I was on a book tour and for the book. And I got sick on a plane and I ended up with bronchitis and was hospitalized. Mm. And, um, in that time I was in the hospital for like three days. You know what? This was actually 2008 Mm. because I wasn't able to vote. I Mm. I couldn't vote for Barack Obama. You didn't vote for our first black president. I I was in the hospital. I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I ended up, um, Getting out of the hospital, I had an interview at CNN right after that. And I remember thinking, oh, I got to get to the hairdresser. My hair is so nappy. My hair wasn't nappy. Girl, it wasn't nappy at all. Mm. But I went to the hairdresser. She put a relaxer in my hair, touched it up. Mm-hmm. And uh, the chemicals it reacted with the medication for my hospital stay. And then my hair fell out in like right in the crown, in the crown of my hair, Mm -hmm. like falling out in my hands, like just all of it, just falling right on out into the thing, which when you're on TV is a pretty scary thing. Very, very, (laughs) very, very. So anyway, 
I had a daughter, I have a daughter, and she has beautiful, beautiful mm. curly hair. Mm-hmm. And I was struggling to, I was looking at her thinking, well, she must have got it from somebody. <laughs> and maybe it had to be me. So I started wondering what my hair would be like yes. <laughs> if I didn't, if I didn't relax it. And then I became obsessed because then I started to see my natural curl. Yes. And I was obsessed with it and it was beautiful yes. and it felt good yes. and it looked amazing. And, but more than that, it fit me yes. for the first time mm-hmm. since I started you know, relaxing mm-hmm. my hair, mm-hmm. this hairstyle, I had the hair that grew out of my head mm-hmm. fit me better than any hairstyle I'd ever yeah. had before. Look great. And I was like, hmm, let's see, let's explore this a second. Yeah. And I never looked back. And so that was in, so I took the rest of my relaxer off in March of 2009. Mm. So it's been what, 12, almost, yeah, 12, almost years? 12 years, 11 years. Yeah. 11, 12 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you go. And, wow. I, and I never look back and I love it today. I tried a new thing today. Well, first of all, how about that little silver coming in? I see that. <laughs> it looks cute <laughs> on you though. It's cute. It's cute. It's cute. <laughs> you know what? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not down for dying. I, I just, I just don't want to, I just don't want to go there yeah. anymore. Yeah. I don't want, I, I like my hair the way it is. Yeah. And I like me. Yeah. You're just and being just Renee. Gonna, you're just being Renee. Mm-hmm. You're liking Renee. <laughs> exactly. I am loving Renee. Renee. Yes, yeah. exactly. You so you it. know what? I, I decided, I was like, well, let me just see what happens. And and then I um, I did something different today. My daughter taught me this. She was like, because I used to put a bunch of cream and like all this cream and then the gel on it. She said, just do the gel. So this is what I got when Look I just did the gel. I feel special. You did it for me mm-hmm. today. I did it for you. Yes, I am. Listen, I'm hot today. Thank you, Renee. Listen, I want to talk to you about this blog, the blog, the blog that turned into a book. So how the blogging and you do it from your headquarters, which is your closet. Mm -hmm. Would you talk to us? I think that is so cute. And And since because we're talking, we're being transparent. So one or two of those episodes, I could tell that the the headquarters was going through some kind of renovation. There was laundry <laughs> going on and some new things, and it was a lot. And then after a while, it just was really cute. I saw the book behind you and the pictures of the kids, <laughs> and you're interviewing people in your closet. Tell us about that. I think that's a cute idea. How do we get there? So... I have to tell you that I no longer do that from there because I no longer live in that house. So I live now out, you know, that was up in New York and Mm -hmm. now I have a home in South Carolina Mm -hmm. and I spend my time between there and um, a home in um, Georgia, in the Georgia area. Uh, I mean, Georgia area, Atlanta area. (laughs) Yeah. Uh uh So I, so I'm burning up and down I-20 um, and go on the back roads and you know, whatever. But um, I don't do that so much anymore because one of the things that, so I started, I, I published the book mm-hmm. and the book, I was asking the publisher, how are we going to promote this? And they were like, oh, well, you'll just be on our, on our homepage and blah, blah, blah. But they, they, that was Simon and Schuster, they did not understand online content. Yeah. They didn't understand that, you know, Blogs turn into books, not the other way around. Right. And now publishing has really gone through, you know, you think TV's gone through a lot. Publishing has really gone through it. And really what they're looking for now is they want to, if they invest in someone, they want to make sure they can move 
units, mm-hmm. looks, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so they're looking for people who already have built-in audiences, which is why Snooky mm-hmm. got a book deal. Mm-hmm. Why these people that you're like, why mm-hmm. do they have a book deal? Yeah, because they have a because they have an audience. Yes. So that's really the most important thing. So when that was happening, um, I was like, well, I guess I better start a blog. And that's when I started Good Enough Mother. And mm-hmm. so Good Enough Mother, the blog, was the actual offshoot of the book mm-hmm. when it really should have been the other way around. Yeah. But at any rate, I didn't know, live and learn. Um, and then I started doing videos from, you know, my closet. that mm-hmm. I would be like, oh, this is uh, Good Enough Mother World Headquarters. <laughs> um, but, the, you know, as life goes, my kids grew up mm-hmm. and there came a time when they didn't really like me talking about the stuff that I was doing and they were doing. To, you know, when I started this, they were like eight and 10, like yeah. 10 and 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now they've aged out. They're 23 and 25. Yeah. So now I've had to make kind of some adjustments on moving into more lifestyle blogging, but really more creative type stuff mm-hmm. More um, I'm learning uh, I'm taking some courses on voiceover so I can, you know, become a voiceover actor and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like, just like life, it was, yeah. how do I say this? It was, the days are long, but the years are really short. Short. And, and my time that this 10 years and why this has been such an interesting conversation with you is that that seems like a, a whole lifetime ago. Yeah. That the things that I've done since then and just are so, I I don't know how to describe it. It Mm -hmm. just seems like a long time ago. And that the person I am now is so different from even that person back Mm -hmm. then. Mm -hmm. And, and, but we live and we learn and we grow and we're present in every situation that we're in so that we, you know, so that, that we can learn. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, and I want to create the space for you to, to talk more about the person that you are now, because those previous experience experiences help us to evolve to who we are today. So it's very mm-hmm. important. So Renee, tell us, I, you know, for other women that want to have a career and, and have a family and, and husband, mm-hmm. any piece of advice that you could share with us that could help us do things a little differently, not even so much better, but differently, right? Because we're in a different space, to your point. Yeah. Anything you could share? Stop putting yourself last. Mm-hmm. That's a big, big, big one, I would say. You know, you have a right to be happy. Yeah. You have a right to be happy. And honestly, I think you have a responsibility to your family and to yourself to be happy. Because who wants to be around a cranky mommy? all the time or cranky wife. That's not fun or sexy or any of that. Like, so you've got to do the things that are, that, that make you whole and make you um, a whole person, a person that, that, you know, that you want to be, that you yourself would want to be around. You know, it's not always about the laundry. The laundry can wait. The dishes can wait. Guess who can do dishes? Everybody else in your house. You don't have to be the one, you know, I mean, You know, guess who can do laundry? Everybody else. You got kids who are eight years old, six years old. Teach them how to, like, what is this? Why do you have to be the martyr? You don't. Motherhood is not martyrdom. And so this whole, like, oh, I have so much to do. And you end up, like, you know, just, you know, crunching yourself into the ground is just dumb. That's dumb. And at the end of it, because now I'm on the other side, right? So now my kids are older, mm-hmm. they're grown, yes. and now I have, 
And now look, it's Renee. Mm -hmm. And what does Renee want to do? And what does Renee, what makes Renee happy? Mm -hmm. And don't get to that place where when your kids leave, you're just sitting there like an empty shell Mm -hmm. and you're just all dried out and shriveled up and mad at the world. Okay. Well, that's not you, boo. Yeah. (laughs) Don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. How do you feel with us? The pandemic was such a life-changing year for us, and we're still mm-hmm. in it. But with the vaccine, we're hopeful people are getting their shots. How do you feel coming into 2021 after experiencing staying at home, shelter in place? What did you learn more about yourself, Renee? Wow, you are really, really asking some great questions. Thank you. <laughs> You are, we are digging deep. You actually, I can't remember how many times I've had to be like, hmm, in this, in this conversation. Okay, that's good. I see you, Michelle. I don't want to waste your time, Renee. I respect you. I wanted this to be good, man. This is good stuff. Yeah, because you're What did I learn? That's such a great question. So, um, I learned what I thought I needed to make myself happy, I really didn't need. I wanted those things, right. but I didn't really need those mm-hmm. things. I learned, oh, I, I, I can tell you, um, I really chased peace in this time yes. for me, peace and happiness. Mm-hmm. So that meant disengaging from things that did not ultimately bring me peace. If they upset my spirit and my soul, mm-hmm. then that was not something that I could be a part of. Mm-hmm. Um I, you know, I, I learned how to take my career and do it online, mm-hmm. um, which meant, you know, I mean, I was a, you know, I have a production company, but I was able to, you know, really take some editing courses and learn how to become a, um, a good, um, videotape editor, nice. better, better. I've always edited. I've edited since I was, you know, in, in Reno, mm-hmm. but, um, learning how to edit with files and special effects and graphics and music and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but really I would say the biggest piece for me was just chasing my own happiness mm-hmm. and peace. Yes. That's yes. what I learned. Now you look fabulous. You look well and healthy. I know health is important for you, right? So give us some suggestions for us. How do you, what do you do? What is the day in the life for Renee? Do you walk every day? Do you go to the gym? Are you juicing? Like what's going on, Renee? You look great. That skin is popping. Come on over there. You look Well, you know what? Oh, you're so funny because the skin piece is a huge, so I I just turned 50. Eight in um, February. The lies you and tell. And so when mm-hmm. the lies when you the, tell, the lies you <laughs> tell, the lies you tell. <laughs> Fifty. Come on, knock it off so, already. Yeah. No. I, I. So I was like, so what do I want that to look like? And this is the other element. Is mm. that, so now here I am in what could be defined as you know, I mean, the last third maybe of my mm. life if I lived to ninety. Right. So what do I want that to look like? Mm-hmm. And so I've been thinking a lot about that. So weight training is absolutely critical for for me and for for us as women. Mm. We get get very weak, particularly our upper bodies. And all of a sudden, if you want to live on your own for a while, you want to be independent, weight training and independence are are connected. Mm. Um, you, You have to combat the atrophy of your muscles, yeah. um, which, which will happen if you don't, if you don't push them, you don't, you don't use them. Right. 
So I do less cardio and more weights. Um, you because I'm trying to build muscle, mm. and that's hard. It's yeah. hard to do at this age. Um, you know, when you're like 20 and you have a full complement of hormones and you know whatever, it's like, oh yeah, just you know, your stomach is flat the very next morning. <laughs> it's like, um, but it's different for us, different. you know. And so you have to. So you have to do that. The other piece is the weight training also helps with um, osteoporosis, which isn't as critical for us as women of color as it is for women who are what I, you know, what I, I have heard terms slight and white, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. light skin, mm-hmm. i.e. white, Asian, mm-hmm. and slight as in slight of build. Mm. Um, so that's part of it. That's part of the physical thing. Um, I found this great dermatologist because I was like, uh, my skin was okay, but it wasn't great. Mm. I was having a lot of discoloration and age spots, which you will, if there are any young people listening to this, please wear your sunscreen. <laughs> did you know that you should even wear sunscreen in front of a computer monitor? Did you know that? I did not know that. I did I'm not know that. Right now, this is what my dermatologist said. She said, are you if serious? you are in front of a Yes. So please sunscreen every day. Cause I was telling her, ah, I don't go outside. So I'm, I'm good. She said, Nope. In front of a sunscreen, in front of a monitor, you need sunscreen. And the monitors are getting big, are bigger and bigger too. So it's like, Ooh, this mm-hmm. ray of light. So on that was a big one, but really, you know what I did? I, I I'm a huge fan of retin-A and it's it for its anti-aging properties. Mm-hmm. And so she gave me, this is my trick <laughs> is that she gave me a subscription, a subscription, a prescription to the generic retin-A, tretinoin or whatever it's called. And I use it and I used it for a week. And all of a sudden my skin was like glowing. You're glowing. Yeah. That's what I'm getting right now. Like, so it's working. You're looking. And the retin-A and it's, and it's because, you know, and I have like a little bit of makeup on, but not much. Mm. Usually I I never wear makeup anymore, Mm -hmm. but the, um, the thing is it helps turnover it's the skin renewal the cell renewal mm-hmm. renewal happens faster with mm-hmm. the retin-a that's what i that's my understanding of it yeah. and and that's what i see and then i used a little bit of the hydroquinone which is um for dark spots mm. and that's that and then i just protect like i go if i go out of the sun i was um in south carolina on the beach the other day mm-hmm. i was the only fool out there with an umbrella but i don't care <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not spending this kind of money to be out here. Nope. A, mm-mm, mm-mm. So Renee, are we going to go back to traveling? Are you still a travel blogger and renting cars and doing things and giving reviews on that and walking your dog? Yeah. What are you doing? You still doing that stuff? Oh, my doggy, she died. Oh, my no. little Olivia. Yes. Oh. oh God, I love that dog so much. She, um, was I put her down about two years ago? I'm this will sorry. be the third year coming up because she was, yeah, she was, but she was the best, Olivia. Yeah. Um, she was but pooping. yeah, I'm. <laughs> she was pooping in the videos every time you. I her, she know, was my gosh, she was. <laughs> You're oh, like, gosh, there's so my dog fun. going to the bathroom. <laughs> uh-huh, in the back of my live shot, yeah. <laughs> so she was great. She was an amazing, um, an amazing dog, and you know, it's funny. I, I every once in a while, I'll see a picture of her and just. You just can't help yourself but yeah. to well up. She was a good, good dog. Yeah. So that, um, will I have another dog? Maybe, maybe, maybe. not. I'm not maybe. sure yet. So we'll see. Okay. But um, 
In terms of travel, yeah, when the world opens up again, I think I will. I did get a car the other day to review, so I'm going to have a review on that. It was the Infiniti um, QX55, mm-hmm. so, uh, so we'll see. You got a lot yeah. of things going. You're doing a lot of great things. I'm glad you talked about voiceovers because I think you have a great voice. You can absolutely be in Aww. that. Yeah, you should be doing commercials. You should be doing something for Disney or Pixar. What? What's? You're wasting time, Renee. Come on. There. Well, you know what? I got to tell you, um, it's really, it's very easy for me mm-hmm. to talk to you in this voice because this is my natural voice. Yes. But I, it's really hard. And I'm always tired after I practice because you, you, this voice isn't always the voice they want. This is a very authoritative voice, which there is a, a there isn't a market for that. Mm-hmm. But I also need to be softer and know how to, oh, you know, sales yeah. or K jewelers, right? Or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yes. or or come on down to Planet Fitness where it's yes. ten dollars a month. There you go. You, know, you got to have that. Quirky, upbeat. The problem is, as I'm telling you this, I can do it while I'm telling you, but years of being a broadcaster, as soon as I read it off paper, it starts sounding like an announcer. Ah. So that is what I'm trying to beat out of my delivery. Mm. And it is hard work. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. What's next for you, Renee? I know you're going to, you're working on voice, voiceovers, maybe another book. What are you going to, what's, what's going on for you? What's your projects? What do you got in the pipeline? Anything special? Oh man. I, you know, I don't, I'm really trying to just live mm. um, a, a, a piece at a time, not look too far ahead. Okay. I don't really have a burning desire to write another book, honestly. Okay. okay. Um, I I would love to do commercials and voiceover. I'd love to act. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll see. Yeah. But I'm really just focusing right now on staying healthy, getting strong. Um, you know, taking good care of myself yeah. mentally, physically, emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, so that when the next thing comes along, I'm ready ready for it. Yeah. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Where can the people find you, Renee? Where can people find you? Where are you? Oh gosh. All right. Well, on Instagram, I'm good enough mother. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's spelled E N O U G H the regular way. Good Mm -hmm. enough mother. Um, on Twitter, it's good enough mother spelled E N U F. So it's good E N U F mother. And on Facebook, just Renee Seiler, I did have a, um, I did have a, uh, a fan page, but I haven't really updated it much Mm -hmm. because it's like all about motherhood and I'm in that, you know, kind of next phase. And maybe there's, maybe I need a Facebook page for that because that other doesn't seem yeah that's not you anymore anymore. that's not you anymore that's not you and and until maybe you have grandkids perhaps but you're in a different space so maybe you should update it to reflect this new version of renee yeah you know i meant to tell you my first name is actually michelle (gasps) your your middle name is not renee's no Your first name is Michelle. Are you two yeah, L's or Michelle. one? Are you two L's? Yeah, two L's like yours. <gasps> My heart yeah. is smiling. What a connection. <laughs> yes. I and, I, and I changed it when I was in like, I don't know, I must have been 12 because my um, family was calling me Missy 
all the time. Oh. Did they? Did your people no, call you Missy? No, we never had that. I'm from the Shelly. What about Shelly? Uh, Shelly. A few people called me Shelly. Some mm-hmm. called me Shells. Um, mm-hmm. Michelle. I had one person call me Mickey, but no, not a Missy. I yeah. was never a Missy or a Mimi. I was never a Mimi. Some yeah. Michelles are Mimi. Yeah. I'm not a Mimi. Mm-mm. No. Yeah, I was. I was called Missy, and I was like, Mm-mm. I didn't like that. I didn't. I wouldn't. And like so that when I was, yeah, and I so my family had moved from Fair Oaks to Yuba City, and so I was going to a new school. Mm-hmm. And my mom said, my mom's name is. Florence, but she goes by Anne, and she said, "Listen, if you want to change your name, now's the time. <laughs> just introduce yourself as Renee." And yeah. so I did. I never changed it officially. Yeah, but I just started being called Renee. You're Renee. And Look so, at Michelle. Mm-hmm. You're pretty uh, Michelle. Michelle. Renee. Yeah, Michelle. Pretty Michelle Renee. This was fun. <laughs> Thank yes, you. yes. Great questions, Michelle. I thank enjoyed you. spending this time with you. Thank you, Renee. I, thank you so much. I am so honored for you to be here today. This was awesome. We got a we got an opportunity to see Renee and talk to you and ask the questions. I'm just so excited. Thank you so much for your time. I'm going to still follow you <laughs> and see what you're doing. <laughs> Please, see, yes. I see you tweeting over there some things. She's like, not again. Like... <laughs> With the whole prince, you know, with the Sharon Osborne, oh, you were like, not oh, again. Gosh. You're like, I'm tired. Oh. He's like, I'm so right. tired. <laughs> it's incredible. It's just, it's just amazing where we are today. And the, and there's, the, we'll bring you back another day. Entitlement and what people can say and not say and mm-hmm. do and not do. And I didn't mean to offend. Did this really offend you? Mm-hmm. I didn't know. And. It's still a constant thing for us to, we constantly have to draw the line in the sand. We have to call people out on their BS. We still have to be mature and and rational, even in our responses Mm -hmm. and what we do. It's just a constant struggle. But it's people like you, Renee, that did lead the path for us, that continue to give us an opportunity in these spaces that we don't have to be quiet. We don't have to be ashamed of who we are. We can speak our mm-hmm. truth. We can tell, we can be storytellers and be, mm-hmm. and be professional in the process. So for that, I thank you. I thank you, you so know, much. I, 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 one of the other pieces, and I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you this, but that I've really been spending a lot of time on is doing a lot of anti-racism work and really finding out and reading, doing a lot of reading. So I started a book club called Renee Seiler's Tough Topics Book Club. Really? And we have been really diving into some of these things. And some of it is so uncomfortable. And I, I feel like I, we just finished reading a book called White Too Long, oh. which is by Robert P. Jones. And it's about the tenuous relationship between American Christianity and white supremacy. Really? And it is really hard to read yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you start to understand um, about how the church, the white, you know, mm-hmm. the Southern Baptist church mm-hmm. um, and, and a lot of churches mm-hmm. have a- actually in the past, um, you know, they really have a lot to reckon with because in the past they did some things that were, you know, put in place to uphold white supremacy, yeah. according to this author. So, right. yeah, that's another place you can find me is yeah. that book club. Yeah. What's the name of the book club again, Renee? Where is it? What? Renee Seiler's Tough Topics Book Club, and it's just on Facebook. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> really fancy name, right? Yeah, yeah. No, because there's some readers out there. I, you know, I'm not a reader per se, but I'm an audible girl. I will, I will listen. Oh, that's me. Everything's oh, on that's... Audible. I just finished Obama's book. That was 29 hours. You know, I, I will listen mm-hmm. while I'm 
washing the dishes or doing clothes or working or driving or working out. And it's a great way for me to still stay connected. So I'm going to join you. I'm going to follow you on that. But those conversations are hard, Renee, because it brings something up out of us. Like we, we are trying to be in this space, but it's really hard for us to look at people and be like, are you serious? This is what, Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is what you were doing. Like the, and, and it's a very, to your point, a very tough conversation to have, but it needs yeah. to be had, right? Because we're still talking yeah. about reparations and this and that and everything else. Mm-hmm. But what I would hope for is that our people will understand that if we never get any form of reparation, we are resilient, we are intelligent, we are smart, we are about community, we are about a love, we can do what we need to do without anyone's permission. So I'm hoping that as we've seen, unfortunately, the horrific things that happened just in 2020 alone, right? George Floyd and other episodes that if, if justice is not served in those particular pockets, we can't let that stifle us. We still have to keep moving forward. We have to own Mm -hmm. things. We have to empower our people. We have to be economically sound. It's a lot of Mm -hmm. things that we can do that now that the internet has put all everything out there. There's no segregation in that. So we can get the information that we need to continue to grow and, and, and move as a people, as a culture, as a race. And that's my, that's my <laughs> powerful yeah. for the day. But that's how I feel. So I support you in that. And I'm going to read that book with you. But I want to thank you so much for your, uh, your time, Renee. This was awesome. This made my day. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and mine too. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you so much. Listen, everyone, that's my time. You guys know who I am. I'm Real Chicks Rock and I'm everywhere. You guys can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Check us out on the website, realchicksrock.com. We got the YouTube channel. So Subscribe. If you see a, you see a show you like, give us a comment, give us a like, because we want everybody to um, have access to that show and know what we're doing. This is my time. You guys continue to be well, take care, and rock on. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have a product or service you'd like to have promoted during the show, please contact us at info at realchicksrock.com and we'll send you the details. We're reaching the masses and we would love for you to join us on the ride. Until next time, take care and continue to rock on.